Welcome to another episode of the Deborah Health Report, where we dive into current health and medical topics to keep the Delaware Valley informed and updated. Last month, we covered the signs and symptoms of peripheral artery disease, the great strides that have been made in non-invasive diagnostic tools and interventions, and the latest in surgical options when needed. This month, we discussed the current toolbox for preventing, diagnosing, and actually curing lung cancer, and why it's not just a smoker's disease. Here's Rasa Kay. Hi, I'm Rasa Kay, and we're focusing on lung cancer. I discussed it with cardiothoracic surgeon Dr. Joseph Kostick, who is also director of the thoracic surgery program at Deborah. Arguably, the best news you can hear about lung cancer is learning that you don't have it, if concerning lung symptoms have sent you to your doctor. But while lung cancer is still the leading cause of cancer death in the United States as well as the world, we have had some very good news about it recently. The American Lung Association says the five-year lung cancer survival rate has increased by double digits. In 2014, it was 21 percent. In 2018, it was 25 percent. Remarkable progress, according to experts in the cancer universe. And I specifically addressed with Dr. Kostick another recent study, this one in the journal Cancer, that finds a satisfyingly speedy 2% decrease in overall cancer deaths, and that's driven mostly by the drop in lung cancer deaths. A new study in the journal Cancer finds that overall cancer death rates decreased by 2.1% each year. From 2015 to 2019, that is the fastest it has decreased over the last two decades and driven largely by the steep decline in lung cancer deaths. So yay. We know that far fewer people are smoking today than they did in decades past. Screening treatments for lung cancer have improved. However, there's always the but, but, but. Despite all of this good stuff, lung cancer remains the leading cause of cancer death in the U.S., according to the journal Cancer and this study, and worldwide, according to others. So First of all, do these findings um, support what you're seeing? Absolutely. They're very encouraging to hear that we are making at least a dent, some headway. Traditionally, lung cancer has been very difficult to deal with, with very high mortality rates across the U.S. and, as you had mentioned, the world. So it is very encouraging for those of us who do deal with lung cancer on a daily basis to see that we are starting to get that foothold in our treatment and prognosis plans for those people with lung cancer. What is lung cancer today? How has your understanding of it changed as we've had all of this improvement in aspects of it? Well, lung cancer in general, cancer is a group of abnormal cells that tend to divide rather rapidly. And they also have the characteristic of being able to invade our body's own tissues and ultimately spread to other areas of the body. When this occurs in the lung, we refer to that as lung cancer. Symptoms of, of lung cancer and kind of at what point should you get checked out? Because this is where it gets tricky. This is one of the problems we have as clinicians dealing in the fight against lung cancer is that often lung cancer has few or no symptoms. Unfortunately, it's until the cancer gets to a rather large size or does spread to some other part of the body where we start to see some symptoms. But traditionally, the more common symptoms that we see are shortness of breath, an unexplained cough, chest pain, or even just mild weight loss and fatigue. That is fiendishly difficult it is. to sort out. Risk factors 
for lung cancer when you're looking at all of these symptoms that, that are a game of elimination in a lot of ways. The risk factors, they give you some more guidance, and what are they? When we look at the epidemiology, that is to say what causes a certain disease, we look for primarily environmental factors for lung cancer. Smoking and secondhand smoke, radon from ground sources, radioactive ores, asbestos, and other natural causes that tend to lead to the formation of lung cancer. So smoking is, is in there among all of the environmental factors. All right, well, we'll get more into that. Stages of lung cancer. Now, again, it's, it's depressingly, you tend to find it when it's fairly advanced, but what are the stages of lung cancer and, and how might they translate into symptoms for someone? When we talk about any cancer, we break them down into certain stages, and that depends on the size of the tumor, where it's located, and has it spread to any other part of the body. Typically, lung cancer is broken down into four stages with stage one being the earliest form that we can identify on any testing. That may be referred to as a spot, a nodule, or a mass in the lung, all the way up to stage four, which has progressed and grown into an area that we can no longer do anything about or spread to another part of the body distant to the lung itself. Obviously, the earlier stage you are, the better chance we have in fighting the cancer. The later stages, a more poor prognosis. Do you stumble on lung cancer? Yes. How does that happen? Lung cancer screening projects throughout the U.S. And a lot of times people can now come into an emergency room and one of the tools of treatment that the ER doctors like to use is a CAT scan. And we often pick up these incidental nodules and tumors that never would have been expected unless we scan somebody. But maybe you were scanning for something else. Somebody came in with, with you know, you think, well, maybe it's pneumonia or... Even unrelated areas like abdominal pain or uh, a head cat scan, we pick up incidental nodules in the lung. Wow. Okay. So the link then between lung cancer and smoking, that is still a pretty hard link. The CDC estimates that 80 to 90% of those people who develop lung cancer have a causal relationship to smoking. We know that cigarettes have a combustible, toxic chemical group. Many of them have been already designated as carcinogenic, that is cancer-forming. And when those toxic substances are inhaled into the lung, they can cause direct DNA damage, they can cause inflammation of those cells, and they can actually prevent the body's own immunity, ability to fight diseases and infection. Cigarette smoke from tobacco and all of the components of tobacco, but if somebody just smokes a lot of weed or they vape, um, is, is it the process of the heated air burning tissue and, and that damage, or, or is it more the combination of that plus stuff in the smoke? You're absolutely correct. It is the combination of both. A lot of the things you mentioned are non-regulated by the FDA, so we just don't know what's in those substances. And inhaling any foreign body into the lungs can lead to the same damages that we saw with lung cancer. Secondhand smoke, how does that affect it? almost as bad as if you were smoking yourself. It is estimated that if you have significant secondhand smoke, your risk for developing lung cancer is 20 to 30% higher than that of a non-smoker. If we look at statistics, that'll mean 7,500 people will die this year from lung cancer from secondhand smoke. What's the safest way for somebody to satisfy their nicotine cravings? Although e-cigarettes seem like a safe alternative to smoking, and indeed it is statistically better, it still contains a 
combustible mix of chemicals. Occasionally formaldehyde is found in e-cigarettes. The FDA currently does not regulate any of these devices. There have been some animal studies, however, that show that the use of e-cigarettes can actually stimulate cancer growth. When we talk about smokeless tobacco, we trade one problem for another. There is no lung cancer associated with smokeless tobacco, but unfortunately tongue, cheek, gum, and esophageal cancer are all prominent, not only to mention the dental and gum disease that goes along with it. The carcinogens in tobacco, so however you're going to ingest them, there's a risk. So non-smokers, and this is, and not that we should be stigmatizing anyone for health habits or, or whatever, but non-smokers, that always seems to be kind of mind-blowing, that if you never took a puff in your life, how often does that happen? Um, and the causes of a non-smoker getting lung cancer? Well, if we take away the smoking factor, it obviously occurs at a much rarer incidence, but still is possible. And for those patients, we see that there's usually a genetic relationship meaning that their families had cancer in the past and they have a tendency to develop cancer, or they've been exposed to some other toxin from the environment that led to the situation that they're in. Okay, radon. And this is always a big one because we're starting mm -hmm. to close up our houses for the winter. And you know, should we be testing our homes for this? Should we be aware of radon in the area? How does radon lead to possible lung issues. Radon is an odorless, colorless gas that is emitted in certain geological formations, particularly those of shale, and can permeate especially a house with a basement and you would never know that it's there. Um, if you buy a new house in New Jersey, we're going to get a radon test, but it's not a bad idea and multiple home improvement stores sell radon kits that you can very cheaply get and do yourself and just test your basement for any radon emissions. And then, of course, if you found it, you should do whatever mitigation is, is involved. I and mean, can you mitigate yourself? In, I mean, if radon is detected in a home, can you mitigate it into a safe place to be? Absolutely. It is a safe, easy venting procedure that just takes the air out of your basement to the outside, and that often mitigates any damage that can be done. Are there different other different risk factors for non-smoking-related lung cancer, and does it present differently if smoking wasn't the cause? They present very similar, and we're still looking at some of the environmental factors such as vaping um, and other carcinogenic factors that we're finding in the environment. Um, it's difficult to tell why some people just happen to develop lung cancer. Diagnosing and treating it, where are we at with that? I mean, you talked about the, the CT scans and screenings, but again, deciding who should get screened, um, how you how you kind of go through that, because it's not as though everybody should just get a CT scan every year. But I don't know, if, if Aunt Marge died of lung cancer, is that something you want? I, what, how do you determine um, some of the diagnosing and and then, of course, the treatment? You're absolutely correct. We don't want to subject any patient to unnecessary medical testing that um, would not be advantageous to them. But we do know that if we hone in our testing on certain individuals, patients between the age of 55 and 75 who have had a smoking history of more than 20 years or who have stopped smoking within the last 15 years, we know that a lung cancer screening program is invaluable for those patients. Anybody with a genetic predisposition for certain tumors, particularly that of lung cancer in their family, often benefit from a screening program as well.
Okay, so diagnosing it then. You've got somebody coming in and there's the cough, there's, there's all those symptoms that you mentioned before, the shortness of breath, and you determine that you're gonna take a look for lung cancer. What is that experience like? You know, most patients in their primary care facilities will have a chest x-ray, uh, but literally we lean heavily on CAT scanning, where a special scanner divides you up like a loaf of bread, and we look at all the individual slices to see what nodules, what are they composed of, where they are, and how many they are. So when someone comes to see you, it's already a high suspicion, or they, it, the masses have been found. Yes, oftentimes good screening by your primary care physician uh, or your pulmonologist will lead to patients coming to us already with a suspicion of lung cancer. Then treatment. Treatment. Treatment has been traditionally relegated to three forms, surgical, chemotherapy, and radiation. And we've made significant advancements in all those areas over the last few years, lending us to better treatment in lung cancer. Is surgery the last choice? Or sometimes is that the thing you really want to just go in there and get it out? Well, Deborah has a unique program called our multi Multidisciplinary Oncology Group Meeting in which a radiation oncologist, an oncologist, a pulmonologist, a surgeon, a pathologist, and a radiologist all meet and review the case and the x-rays before we see the patient. And that way, once we see the patient, we can outline a total plan for them in one visit, including some or all the modalities that we offer. We do look for those patients with early stage lung cancer, and we hope that a surgical outcome will be the best. We always look to operate and remove the tumor if clinically possible, and if not, and sometimes in conjunction with, we use chemotherapy and radiation. Is lung cancer curable? Can you get, if you get in there and you get that tumor out, is that person considered cured? Or is there a management protocol no matter what? The diagnosis of cancer can be devastating for anyone, including lung cancer, but it's certainly not a death sentence. We have been able to make significant strides and cure lung cancer. That's cardiothoracic surgeon Dr. Joseph Kostick, director of the Thoracic Surgery Program at Deborah. In our next podcast, we'll explore how the multidisciplinary approach there keeps patients on a lung cancer journey as healthy as possible. That includes cutting-edge treatments and screenings before and after lung cancer treatment to first detect it for early treatment and then during survivorship to pounce on recurrence and metastases. If you or a loved one wants to learn more about lung cancer treatment at Deborah, and if you're curious about who should get screened for it, take Deborah's Lung Cancer Quiz at mylungscore.org. Should you be screened? All that and more when the next segment drops the first Wednesday of the month. I'm Rasa Kay. You can always listen to all of the informative Deborah doctor interviews at DeborahHealthReport.com. Schedule an appointment at DemandDeborah.org.